Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. In this thought-provoking episode, we'll dive into the dynamic intersection of AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and international trade. Joining us, our esteemed guests visiting Arizona this week, we have Ciprian Suku, mayor of District 6 of Bucharest, and Christian Ciprian, sorry. No, Christian, I'm Christian. Christian, I'll get it down. You're in different spots. Christian Bakanu. Yes. yes, very good. A member of the Romanian parliament and Ciprian Suku, who is the mayor of District 6 of Bucharest. Thank you for that correction. I'm looking in different directions, but had it down. And also with us coming in virtually, we have David Cook, who is Arizona District 7 representative. We're always honored to have David with us. And we are going to be having an opportunity to have a conversation around all these things that are critical. Leading us in today's conversation, of course, is Steve Zalstra with the Arizona Technology Council. Hello again, Steve. Happy to have you. Great to be here. So AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. And this is one of those conversations today that we've come to really appreciate. And these guys have been traveling together the last couple of days with David Cook and have seen some of the beautiful parts of our state. What has that been like for you, David? Well, it it was awesome. You know, anytime we can bring people at this level from other countries into Arizona and actually let them see and feel and touch rural Arizona and the beauty we have. And I I, I hope they've had a wonderful time. I have no doubt that they have. And you anticipated we might have somebody show up with a cowboy hat. And sure enough, (laughs) we did. So that was fun to see that. Let's have each of you start by introducing yourselves. If we could have David and Steve go first, and then we would love to hear from our esteemed guests as well. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, the role that you play, and why are you here in Arizona? Steve, you want to go for us first? Sure. I'm Steve Zylster, President and CEO of the Arizona Technology Council and our foundation, the SciTech Institute. We're a statewide organization. We represent about 750 tech companies. We have offices in Phoenix and Tucson. Uh, We do public policy advocacy, uh, over 100 programs and events, uh, negotiate lower cost products and services for our members. So we're a comprehensive trade association serving science and technology companies across the state. Great intro as always. David, how about you? My name is David Cook. I'm a rancher. I live in Globe, Arizona in District 7. I'm entering my eighth year here at the state legislature. I'm chairman of two committees, two full standing committees. The speaker has made me chairman of transportation and infrastructure and also chairman of the International Trade Committee, which which these guys of what I've met on our trade commission, Steve and the Tech Council have been great partners you know, in, in trying to help Arizona businesses and expand and also help new companies locate that uh, here in Arizona. Excellent. Christian, how about you? I'm Christian Bacanu. I am from uh, Romania, Romanian member of parliament. Uh, Before that, I used to be a state secretary of the Ministry of Justice and a business lawyer. That's what I, that's my profession. Starting with uh, this month, I will also be a member of the ITNC committee in our parliament. Before that, I I used to be an asset, will still serve in the judicial committee. And I work a lot on international relations. Is this your first visit to Arizona? Yes, it is. What do you think so far? Well, it's wonderful. Arizona is um, it, it, a place uh, like no other we have in Europe. It's amazing. First of all, I was shocked by how open people are, right? So people are, here are wonderful. Secondly, uh, Arizona is a booming economy, and you can really see that. You can see that businesses uh, are investing here. Uh, you have a lot of uh, constructions going on, a lot of planning for uh, GDP production. And what is happening here in the uh, microchip uh, industry is amazing, not only for Arizona, but for the world. It is so important to have um, 
French-shoring when it comes to production of, uh, of microchips. So the U.S. Is, uh, is great in doing that, and Arizona is the place. Mm. Christian, can you um, add a little bit about the nature of this particular trip? Why you've come to Arizona? What What's the impetus? And uh, have you fulfilled that expectation? I'm here in Arizona together with uh, uh, my friend, Ciprian, the, the mayor of District 6 in, the, in Bucharest, for showing our support for a wonderful uh, project that uh, the state of Arizona is, is now in the process of adopting, which is opening a tra- trade office in, uh, in Romania for the Central Eastern, uh, Central Eastern Europe. The way we see it, we want to do red carpeting for, uh, for, for the state of Arizona. We want to help the business. We're all for business, for, uh, for economic de- development. And we think that this is the solid ground where you, you create connections, bridges, and friendship. So that's why we're here. We testified in the House of Arizona just three days ago, and we get to meet people from Arizona. We had a lot of interesting meetings, so it's fantastic. Uh, And I think that this is uh, just the beginning of a beautiful friendship and the continuation of a beautiful friendship between Romania and the United States. And the thing is, we want more of the U.S. in Romania, and that is to cancel influence that other countries such as Russia and China are trying to bring to our region, to our part of the world, we're there in the middle of Central Eastern Europe. Uh, we have a, uh, we have the longest land border with Ukraine, more than 500 miles. Uh, that is a rough con- uh, conversion from kilometers. Of course, that other countries, such as the, the one I mentioned, are interested in expanding their influence. So we want to have transatlantic values uh, preserved and uh, encouraged. Mm, thank you. Chipian, how about you? Is your first visit to Arizona as well? Yes, it is. It's my first visit here in the West. And? Oh, okay. What do you think so far? I like it. I enjoyed my time here. Um, first of all, the most that I like, and it is, as I'm saying, it is, are the people. So the people are great. So uh, after that, the second impression is that it is kind of different from Europe in um, how you build your cities. Being a mirror, I'm always paying very much attention are the street furniture, are the mobility systems of the different urban systems that you have. I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, hold myself not to observe like everything. And there are some differences and there are some similitudes. There's something similar. But the most, uh, the, the, the most striking differences, of course, are regarding transportation. Mm. Yeah. And city life. But... Um, it's of course every country it has its own tradition and its own way of doing things. I like it. Um, I like the people. I like how you design and how you plan business, and I like very much uh, because um, you you are in constant search for ways to de- develop things. So this is a, like a state of mind for you guys, and uh, this is something that I, I really like it. We could end the show there <laughs> with both those <laughs> yeah. testimonies about the relationships and people and Arizona and international trade. That's fantastic. Yeah, David, I just want to, I'm yes, sorry, please. Uh, because you asked to present ourselves. So Bucharest is the largest city in Romania. With uh, the metropolitan area, we have uh, around 3.5 million inhabitants uh, uh, and is divided into six sectors. Uh, sector number uh, six, which uh, in which I'm a mayor, has uh, up to 500,000 in inhabitants. Uh, and uh, we are uh, more mayors. We are directly elected and we have our own local councils and our own, our own budgets and our own projects. So uh, why am I here? Because I was invited by Mr. Bocanu, my friend, just to testify that uh, I'm very interested to support this, uh, this trade office that is now is in, in the process to be uh, set up uh, or decide the decision has to be taken to be set up maybe next year in uh, in Bucharest. So I'm I'm here just to say that uh, you have friends there and uh, we're going to do everything that we can to help to open it, to have it open. Perfect introductions. David, how does this feel for you and, and Steve as well when, when we can have an opportunity to have these conversations? <laughs> That's got to feel phenomenal. And we've been having these kinds of conversations all through 2023 uh, with our international counterparts. Tell us a little bit what that's like for you, too. What we did here at the House, when the Speaker made the International Trade Committee and gave us our charge, we put together for the first time. There's been international affairs committees and 
and delegations and stuff travel for, for the government. But what we did is we put a plan together and Romania was part of our plan from the beginning. And that was for to get the members the ability on the committee to learn more about Romania. And really is Romania, because we do about $38 million worth of exports to Romania, somewhere around there. And it's it's a large number, but it's not as large as others. But when we look at Romania and the location to countries like Ukraine that are going to be building over the next generation, rebuilding that country, and the neighboring countries, the countries around the three Cs, uh, we think that this would be a good investment for us to take a hard look at in government to fund a trade office there for the potential of expanding those businesses in Arizona and helping other businesses from Romania in that region that would want to come and do business in the state of Arizona. So, so we don't have all of our eggs in the same basket, if, if that makes sense in today's world. Our economy was is really built around agriculture and housing for, for generations, and now those have changed. And, and that's that's why we're here today is Steve and the Tech Council and what we have. We have over 1,200 defense contracting companies in the state today. So we're just changing the way we do business in the state. And we're, and we're in competition with other states as well, doing the same thing. And I would just say that, you know, this upcoming trade office will be a, a game changer in that it could serve that entire uh, region, right? Not just uh, Romania. But with respect to Romania, uh, Christian mentioned the 500-mile, roughly, um, border with Ukraine. Um, when this war is over, Ukraine's going to have to be rebuilt. And uh, a lot of American expertise and resources are going to go into that country. And there's no other better place for that to come from uh, than Romania. And uh, we'll have a... You know, a long established office by the time that begins and develop more relationships in the country. So it really represents an incredible opportunity for Arizona companies to participate in the rebuilding of Ukraine. Absolutely. And I think you and Christian have uh, an interesting story about how you two know each other. I'll let Christian talk about that. (laughs) All right. Yeah. It's a great story. And it all starts with this pin. I have a pin here with the two flags, the flag of Romania and the flag of the United States of America. And what our listeners should know and the people who are watching us is that Romania is a fantastic friend of the U.S. Romanian citizens have great respect for uh, U.S. citizens, for the U.S. democracy and for the U.S. leadership of the free world. So what happened basically is I was in London. Uh, I was about to be a speaker at uh, uh, at an parliamentarian event. It's called Parliamentary Intelligence Security Forum in the Westminster. I had just arrived on that day, early morning. It was very late at night. We had the reception in the Kensington Palace, uh, which is in the Kensington area of London. And the day was over. I was in the piano bar of my hotel and I was drinking, uh, how the Brits would say, a pint of beer. So I was drinking some beer alone and was just thinking about uh, the, my approach to the following two days, which were very busy. I was supposed to prepare my speech. And uh, some guy, I didn't know at that <laughs> time who he was, comes to me and says, look, what is that? And I say, well, that is the, the, the sig- a symbol of r- r- friendship between our two nations, Romanian and American nation. Well, he says, I'm from the States. Are you from Romania? I said, yes, of course I am. Well, let's have a beer together. And, and that person was Representative David Cook. He's a great friend of mine. I love, I love him. David, that's it. I, I must be honest. And uh, Stephen was there uh, together with the delegation. So uh, that, that night I met Steve as well. And we, uh, we had uh, a few days when we got a time to debate a lot of issues. What's happening in Ukraine? What is the what is the situation in, in in China regarding Chinese policies for Taiwan? How is food weaponized by the Russian Federation? We discussed a lot of things, so that's how we met. And I think that uh, well, I hope that we'll be friends for life. Yes, and and we spent a lot of that week together, uh, lunches and dinners and so on, and really got to, to know Christian well and has become a huge fan and supporter uh, of Arizona. So we look forward to lots of ongoing discussions and relationships uh, that started there in the UK. 
I think the next thing I think our audience would like to know, um, we'll start with you, Christian. They'll want to know what should Americans know about Romania? What should Americans know about Bucharest? Christian, let's start with you. Well, the American citizen should know uh, that Romania is in the center of Central Eastern Europe. And uh, we're in the middle of all interesting things that affect the quality of life for hundreds of millions of people around the globe. Well, just to give you an example, Ukraine produces a lot of grain. And that grain is supposed, and it, that's what it does today, is feeding Africa. So the way the grain is taken out of Ukraine and towards the global south, the, south, the, the African countries and other countries such as Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, is through the Black Sea. So what the Russians did when the war started was to try to uh, implement a blockade in, in the Black Sea. And the Ukrainians used the Danube and they put, they put the grain on the barges and the barges go to the largest uh, Romanian port at the Black Sea in Constanza, where they get unloaded and then reloaded on huge ships, merchant ships that feed Africa. So that's very important because... Uh, the Russian Federation is really trying very hard to weaponize the grain. So first of all, what all Americans should know is that Romania is strategic. Secondly, is that we are good friends of the United States. So we are allies, friends, and partners. So you can rely on us. Thirdly, you should know that we have a booming economy. Our economy rank, ranks 19 in the world when it comes to complexity. We produce a lot of things. We have uh, not, um, a lot of IT special, uh, certified specialists, number one in the EU and number six in the world. For example, we are the world's most important producer of sunflower seeds. And we are number one or number two uh, in Europe when it comes to grain in the European Union. And also our economy is the fastest growing in the European Union. So ju that's just a few basic data when it comes to Romania. So. It is important, and I think that the U.S. should look more into that. Yeah, regarding Bucharest, um, Bucharest uh, being the capital city, we have a lot of uh, students. So the, we have a lot of universities in most of the study areas. Uh, not in, we have from economic studies to polytechnic university. Uh, you have a uh, law like so. Being the capital, usually you get the most universities there because it's a very lively city. Um, we have a very, a very beautiful, beautiful architecture and a very um, interesting history. Um, so, who would like to visit Romania from the states? Uh, I think uh, that could could be a really good options. But also, of course, uh, we got the chance to see Arizona these days, and also Romanians. To, I encourage Romanians to come to the states and and see uh, because it lot, it has lots to lots to offer. Bucharest has a lot of businesses, a lot of developments, and um, now um, we are uh, we are uh, a developing city even more because we receive European money that we, Romania and Poland are together the main recipients of EU funds for development, and a lot of the things are uh, happening in the capital city. For instance, uh, we are trying to build hospitals, uh, and we are building hospitals, schools, kindergartens. We have a lot of in in investments and uh, uh, infrastructure, pro infrastructure projects. So um, this trade office, I think, it just can be uh, what we needed to, to in intensify the, the economic relations between uh, Romania and Arizona, and also we should double that with the uh, uh, relations at the uh, uh, university academic level, because you cannot have uh, good businesses without uh, good uh, uh, good uh, human resources and competent and with the proper skills to to serve these uh, these businesses. So I see this uh, uh, partnership a partnership for the future for many years from now. And maybe uh, uh, some kind of st strategy uh, commonly to be to be developed in common uh, uh, with uh, with uh, Bucharest and and Phoenix and uh, Arizona and Romania, and it should has a she should have a plan, and it should have um, a lot of not a lot of but very specific objectives uh, to be to be uh, followed, and uh, this is. Uh, 
this partnership um, can be wider than trade office. Of course, this can be the, the stepping stone for uh, for uh, this uh, this relation, and it comes in the right time because we have uh, American presence in Romania, of course, uh, also economic, but mainly military presence. But we should also increase the uh, economic presence of of the United States in in Romania. And I believe you met with a number of deans deans at ASU earlier today and uh, are already working on the idea of collaboration between the universities and and Bucharest, at least ASU. Yes, there are some some contacts already, as I learned today, between some universities in uh, Bucharest, not the main ones. But at the level of the, that, what that um, Arizona State University is, we, the, the the contacts should be with the main universities in uh, in uh, Bucharest. The trade office is a good idea, but if we put together companies, trade office people with universities having together to develop together a strategy regarding these relations. That strategy and that plan can be followed and understood and can be followed for for several years. So this uh, having them on the table uh, will be a big plus. Very good. Well, um, two of the hottest topics in the United States, particularly here in Arizona, in tech these days are around generative AI and cybersecurity, um, particularly the the war between China and the U.S around cybersecurity. Uh, how have you seen things change um, over the last uh, several years? And what gets you excited about uh, opportunities to address these two fields? I should mention when Christian was in uh, the UK at, at the event that he was describing earlier, he was there speaking about AI. And in fact, um, Representative Cook uh, parted from the group to actually go see him speak at this conference. So, you know, that began really cementing uh, this relationship. So let's start with Christian. Well, it's a war. The the way you put it, Stephen, is exactly the way it is. It's a war. So China is investing a lot in, uh, in human resources, in uh, knowledge, in development, in research, when it comes to uh, the cyber warfare and about uh, it comes to the uh, data transmissions. Just think about the all the technologies that China's trying really hard to implement all across Europe and in other countries when it comes to our mobile phones, 4G, 5G. So the question is, if our data is secure, that is the first question. Uh, so we really need to be aware of the fact that we are at risk. I'll just point out some, some risks. So big data, it, it may come to your mind that there's no risk, right? Hundreds of millions of people are using TikTok, Chinese technology when it comes to communication, the Chinese phones, no no problem, right? Well, the thing is that most of these uh, uh, appliances, elect- electric appliances, phones, even uh, air conditioning, they are connected to the Wi-Fi. They transmit data to China. And that's very important for people to know. So, Okay, what are they going to do with all that amount of data, right? Because it's so much, it's hard to process. Well, not exactly. As technology is growing and developing, uh, computers uh, have more uh, capacity to process all this data, and then they try to manipulate us. So countries such as China, India, uh, sorry, China, uh, Russian Federation, not India, Iran, and now North Korea, which is a hub for technology for Chinese uh, people. Uh, they are trying to manipulate us. That's one thing. Then that's a, we have a quantum race for quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Who's going to have that? First, that that countries can change a lot of things because none of our data right now is quantum secure. Our Visa cards, our MasterCards, our phones, nothing, our bank accounts, nothing is quantum secure. So a lot of things to discuss about this, but we should be aware of the, our position today. I'm not an expert in AI, so uh, I should only talk uh, as a mayor. Uh, I see it uh, as an opportunity as in, and in a positive light. For instance, uh, me and my team, we got together and think what type of services uh, could be uh, better delivered with the help of the AI. 
one of the first, for example, you know, we have this um, public relation office, a lot of people, and uh, they are calling all the time, asking different things. Uh, so, uh, similar to ChatGPT, Ch- a program can easily answer all the questions that the people are asking. So, where, when should I pay my taxes? What is the form? How can I access that form? And just on one click away, they can open the form provided by the AI. So, now we are considering uh, to implement such system systems in order to have better quality of our public services in uh, in Bucharest. So, um, I'm not uh, being, uh, me not being an expert on security, cybersecurity, I look at the opportunities and I wait for the experts, your experts, to tell me what uh, the threats could be. David, um, not only uh, through the relationship you've developed with Christian, but your longtime relationship with the Tech Council, these are uh, areas of concern and, and focus, and of course, opportunity uh, for the state of Arizona, too. Anything uh, you'd like to say about cyber or quantum or AI? Well, well, Steve, I, I think that uh, the relationships I've built with you and your organization and your membership over these years it was like almost the perfect uh, great storm. I want to say perfect rain that happened when I met Christian because he invited me to the uh, conference in which he was speaking. That's when we split up, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. And the panels they had there, it, it really was eye-opening because what what technology we talk about, and he's talking about these quantum computers, is that I give the example of what I heard. Your, your typical bank card uh, it would take, you know, a, a year. They'd have to try to hack it and all this stuff. It can be done in a matter of minutes with these quantum computers. And and so when we think about security and technology, so one thing I've always tried to ask these other countries is, how secure is your data, right? We, we've had instances here in Arizona where entire school districts couldn't get their paychecks because of ransomware. It, it's a real thing today it doesn't end up in the headlines every day of what we see on the newspapers or on the news stations, but you and your organization, your people are the ones that are keeping really Americans and their investments and stuff safe today that no one really talks about. And I think that we should talk about it sometime. So Romania and what they told me is that their technology and they, they mentioned it earlier, their tech people there are young, they're very smart, but we can always learn something from each other. And I think there's great opportunities to, to expand their ability to keep their country and citizens safe, but also for sharing of technology and businesses between each other to make sure that we are leading and in being first in that race or war, as you called it, with, with countries like China. Because what we want to do is protect information have stability. And when you look at these other countries, they want to do the exact opposite. They want to attack citizens. They want to do things for gain and cause instability in the world market today. So that's what I would say is about the perfect storm of you being there to meet Christian at that and to learn more about what their country is doing and what Europe as a whole is facing. By the way, two of our most active committees at the Arizona Technology Council, we have 13 standing committees, are AI and cybersecurity. Um, they meet on a monthly basis. We even have multiple subcommittees uh, as part of the AI committee. Obviously, it's the big issue of the day, right? Um, and they're- Yes. <clears throat> and Steve, look what they're doing today with this AI technology. You know, I, I read something and saw the other day where that, that – NFL quarterback where they had used that to, you know, uh, create himself for a video game or some commercial or something like that, that he had to do cease and desist. What scares me the most is this AI technology. They don't need you and I talking here or much of it. They just need a few data set points and that AI technology can imitate your voice. And And how important is that? And uh, ultimately by a video, be able to imitate you. Uh, as yes. well uh, uh, through images. Yeah. So, um, does, yeah, yeah. I would like to, to add something. Me as a mayor, our institution was a victim of, of such attack. What I can say is that people, if people lack, uh, if if people uh, are not trusting such systems anymore, they are not also trusting the public services and the authority. 
So they will be very reluctant to provide their personal data and all the digitalization process that we are now having, uh, that now we are constructing, is put under a big uh, question mark. So the implications and the and the effects are beyond the beyond the speci- that specific attack. If it really affects the trust in public institution in a public authority, which is really important for public policies, you can't have policies without without uh, some uh, some level of trust in the institutions that are providing those policies. So you were a victim of ransomware. Yes, we were, but we we got it. We we have, been, we have very good uh, IT companies back home, and they resolve us, yeah. resolve the problem. Yeah, we just had a cybersecurity summit. Um, I guess it was last week. Um, had a massive uh, turnout, and data breaches and ransomware are the two number one issues going on right now. In people, as you, as Mr. Cook said, people not always find out. The problem is there. It's, it is very good that they are not finding out because the, maybe they will freak out. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they, they, they. It will affect the trust, which is really, really important. But this, this subject is real. Yeah. It's happening, and it, it could affect uh, the lives of uh, millions of people. Yeah. People. Um, at this conference, um, one of the experts basically said that. Um, most people don't recognize they've been attacked, um, you know, unless they get an email about ransomware until about six or eight weeks after they've actually been breached. And, uh, you know, the the bad actors can find a lot of information in that very short period of time. Christian, you wanted to add something? Well, I want to add that sometimes you may never know that you are the yeah. subject of an attack. Yeah. Just think about targeted uh, messaging, right? So the big computers process the big data. And then the malign actors, the, the people who want to, to influence our freedom, our democracies, our elections, they use targeted messaging, right? So they know things about you. Computers know things about you. And have you ever noticed, well, let's cook it. That's very simple. But have you ever noticed that if you look, you're looking for a product on the internet, <laughs> then you receive commercials on that. So if you're, you're looking for uh, a phone, I won't give any brand now, then you'll see commercials for that phone. So just for people to understand, that's how it functions. And then if you're sensitive to a topic, then they can input that with mathematic precision. They can input that topic into the public debate and targeted messaging. It goes down to streets and houses. Well, I've I've spoken to people who do, do that, right? So they can do campaigning, political campaigning, up to the level of, of houses and number of houses per street. So the computer identifies the needs, the interests of those people, and then they send the message that is directed to those people, right? So that is unfair when it comes to our democracy. We shouldn't be doing things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Because not all messages are true, right? Not all the things that you see uh, on, on various apps are true. So... That's a problem for our democracy, for our way of living. So we are here in a, also in a cultural war and in a war of values because we have the free world on the one side and we're not doing that to the to countries such as the Russian Federation. What elections are there to be influenced, right? right. How can we do that? We're not doing that. And the, the, on the other side, we have these countries which have only elections which are formal, but nothing changes, right? We have Mr. Putin uh, in charge of the Russian Federation for decades now, right? So, and they are trying to uh, to influence the way we make decisions. So our decision-making, so that's a huge danger. Secondly, when it comes to artificial intelligence, well, that's for all of us, so all our listeners. Try to think how much it would take for you to write a fake news story, right? Well, a computer can do that 50 times faster than you do. So while you're writing uh, a fake news story, the computer writes 50 of those. And then you have the websites and the, the machines are spreading that and there are farms of people spreading that. So this is very dangerous. We need to be aware of that and we, we need to, to address this. And I think what we're looking at today, uh, Steve, and it is the same thing here in the United States, is where you look for misinformation that is being spread rampant over technology. 
and and I see where you know where X now used to be Twitter and Facebook and stuff are trying to tighten some of those up by having I think it's a uh, uh, dual authen- authen- authenticity or right that that they're making sure that these are real people and not not some computer that's putting out misinformation. Um, I go back to what Christian said earlier is I believe it was Mark Twain that said if you don't read the newspaper. Uh, you're uninformed, but if you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. So in today's society, it's all technology. It's all done on phones and it's all done in targeting. And I'll, I'll add a little bit more what he said about if you're shopping, even your app for your grocery store, right? Even they, they know what you purchase. They know what you like. You see those commercials, you see those coupons that come up. That's all because they're tracking your history and no matter what data, if it's your grocery store data or whatever information you're giving, especially if it's your social security number, your banking information, we have got to make sure that, that private companies are making the investment to keep that information safe. And we've got to make sure government agencies are keeping that information that they're contained safe as well. And both of those things need to be doing their jobs. And Steve, your membership in the in the in this sector is is what's really the front lines on this battle for for these kinds of problems. Thank you, David. I think uh, we have to do a commercial now, and then when we come back, I'd like to fo- start focusing on sort of this intersection between international trade and these technology topics we've been discussing. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. All right, let's start with David on this question. How do you perceive the intersection of, say, AI and international trade, particularly in fostering both economic development and further cooperation between our nations and beyond? Well, I, I think with our guests here in Romania, what I see is that the sharing of that technology and information. So so if you're trying to find a cure for uh, an ailment, a sickness or something, and you've got scientists that are working continents apart on their own, then we, it might take us longer to get to that cure than what we're needed. Well, it's the same thing with technology and what we're facing today, what we've talked about in AI, quantum computers, and keeping information safe, is that we need to be talking. We need to have these professionals in these businesses that are communicating and working together and doing business together and sharing that information together so we can get to the end result faster than some of these countries that don't don't intend whatsoever to use that technology for the good of humanity. Gentlemen? Oh, there are a lot of opportunities starting from from transportation. Just think about artificially assisted transportation. You you start to see that with cars nowadays. Here in Arizona, you have cars which are driving by themselves without uh, drivers, right? So we don't have that in Europe. We couldn't have it from a legislative point of view. So our... uh, Regulations do not allow this to happen. But that, in my view, is just the start. 
then of course, as David just said, we can have that in uh, in healthcare. We can have that in research. We can have that in development, in production. So there are a lot of opportunities to to work on that. Also, when it comes to trade, you can use AI. I'm not an expert in AI. I just studied a bit about AI politics and policymaking, but I, I'm not an uh, IT uh, specialist. But I think that AI can be used in uh, to 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 make transportation more efficient. So there are a lot of things uh, where I can be used, but we need to be careful, as I said. Did you get a chance to use a Waymo while you're here from the airport? No, I didn't. Uh, I would have loved to, but I just didn't have the time to install the app. And so I used the Uber. Uh, I'm a big fan of Uber, but I didn't use that. Not everybody looks forward to sitting in a car that's not that doesn't have a driver. I am looking forward to do that. <laughs> I just didn't have the time. Yeah, we'll make arrangements next time. Thank Mayor? you. We have to understand that the knowledge regarding AI is not at the government. Uh, the, um, the, the companies developing it and uh, the people in IT sector know a lot much more than, than the regulators do. So uh, it's very important that the industry sit at the same table with the regulators and have these discussions because it has, at some point, to be better regulated. That is, that is very, very clear, because if you don't, uh, other externalities, bad externalities, uh, will occur during time. So uh, we are aware that uh, the industry has the knowledge and about the capabilities of, of such systems. And the political uh, leaders have the interest and the responsibility to bring them to the same table and discuss about, of course, nobody wants to overregulate it. No, don't want to have to inhibit uh, this uh, development. So it's a very thin line about too, too much regulation, too less regulation, but uh, the politicians in the end have the responsibility to protect the citizens uh, and we can only do it together and not uh, everybody sitting in his own office and thinking about how it should be done. And also the academic, uh, the academic uh, world, and also the, the lawyers who know the principles of the, 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 uh, the they know the, the insights of how to, how to develop such legislations. Uh, all, everybody has to be a part of it. And, uh, and one, an experience that uh, can uh, be developed here in Arizona may be very useful also in the Eastern Europe. Why not? And mm-hmm. the same. It can only do that if if people are together and have the same language and they communicate regarding this uh, very specific and uh, uh, very... This is a matter of, with, with a big impact globally. So this should be a global global discussion, and most of the countries have to kind of go in the same direction because if one will try to have a competitive advantage with less of uh, regards to regards to public interest and personal life, that not uh, that that would be like like a race for uh, to to take up arms and who will have the bigger gun right. will uh, will try to to. To, to win. But this cooperation, uh, so we, if we are together in in this process, you know, EU, European Union, United States, being the leaders of such developments, others will follow. Or we could impose standards to other countries that are maybe more, uh, more reluctant to participate in such processes. I'm, I'm going to turn to Christian next, but um, before I do that, since you've been here, the EU has introduced the first regulatory regime around AI of any area in the world. The U.S. hasn't done that yet, so uh, it's brand new, and uh, we'll see how that impacts uh, the use and the bad actors as it as it relates to AI. Question you want to yeah, the EU has been working quite a lot on that. Uh, we call it, I think it's a directive. Uh, has been working quite a lot and hard on that. And uh, people have been debating whether the EU is doing that fast enough because the, the AI is getting developed um, uh, faster than we can keep track as policymakers. And that's an issue. But 
uh, as Ciprian said, the, the, the approach that we need to have is a holistic one. So we need to have a full approach in terms of academics that you would call that governance. Governance implies the government, well, well the public authority, well, parliaments, governments, agencies, and so on. Then it involves the business, so the companies. And thirdly, it involves uh, the NGOs, right? So we need to have the full approach on that. Then there are a lot of issues which are uh, at stake now. AI ethics, that's something that's being studied in, in the universities. But it's not clear to me if the, all the policymakers understand how important AI ethics is. That's huge. And I think that all of us will hear so much more about that in the future, but we need to make it happen as fast as possible. And then we have a huge dilemma. Do we regulate this? Do we uh, create red taping at home while the other countries don't do it, right? Such as China. So it's very hard to, 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 uh, to, to give an answer to this question. I can't. The, and right now, if we, if we take a look at what AI is doing right now, the, the AI we have is not a real threat, right? It, it brings minor punctual threats to the freedom of our world. But the quantum AI that is going to be developed sometimes in five or 10 years, that's what experts say, not me. Yep. Uh, and I've had a very nice chat with, uh, with an expert having more than 100 PhD people working on quantum and quantum AI in London. He's based in Germany and Switzerland. And what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years, that's going to be breathtaking. It will change all the rules of the game. So can we keep it up? Can we make all the other countries keep it up when it comes to regulations? That's a question I cannot answer to. So that's that should be on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. Near future, I'm not talking about 100 years from now, I'm talking about 5 to 10 years. And the AI that we have right now is like, you remember the, the, the 2D images, two dimensions that we have in the had in the 90s when we had the first games on personal computers? Well, then we had the 3D gaming, right? And now we have virtual reality. Quantum is virtual reality as opposed to the 90s computer 2D with 260 colors. That's how, how big the difference is. It's a huge gap. Can we take care of that? I don't know. By the way, the uh, quantum expert uh, that you just mentioned uh, spoke to us, uh, thanks to David and your introduction to him when we were in uh, the UK. He's going to be on uh, this podcast uh, sometime in 2024. Uh, to talk further of, of, about quantum with some other experts. David, I want to turn to you next. This whole area of regulation, uh, as you know, one of the benefits of being a business here in Arizona is we have a very light regulatory regime. Uh, and there are, we're all hearing discussions of, about the possibility of Arizona, you know, attempting to regulate AI. What, what is your inside information on whether or not that's an issue that might arise in the next legislative session in 2024. I haven't seen a, a bill yet. I think it's going to, to, to come around eventually. I am running a, a bill that doesn't directly deal with AI, but maybe it, it's AI that does it. It's where concert tickets or venue tickets are purchased by bots and, and technology that, that is able to do that. Um, it is a problem. It's costing the people much more money than they should. And so we're going to try to address it in this session in, in the bill that I've, that I've introduced. And I got a call from a reporter just yesterday uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, on Wednesday, that had some questions. Well, how does this work? And then, and then I said, well, listen, the process of the legislator, legislature is to, is to get all of the problems worked out to make sure that we think we're on the right footing to address these problems. And the reporter even said, oh, I agree there's a problem because I have been a victim of it as well, yeah. right? And, and we have all of these stories in, in which this new technology, and one thing, Steve, that, that your companies and your membership, they get it, but in government, we are so slow to respond and, and we're so slow to keep up with the times and responses. For instance, simple things like a brand new hospital opens, they can't get the sign put on the road with the blue sign that just has the hospital arrow on it because on the checklist, it's to have their radio room up and functioning. 
I'm sorry, we don't use walkie-talkie radios anymore in today's society. It's all digital uh, technology. I mean, but government is, is 15, 20 years behind, whether it's that or whether it's radiation cancer treatments in hospitals. So we need to make sure that government is funded, it has the right experts, and, and we are keeping up with our regulations along with the technology. Because if we don't, Steve, that means there becomes victims and more victims and more victims until finally government reacts to what the problems are. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Mayor, a lot of things happen at the local level. You began to talk earlier about uh, the possible uses of AI. Could you address that further? Talk a little bit more about what the needs are, what the ideas are that, uh, you know, you, you sir, your audience are the citizens of, of Bucharest in your, in your district. And how are you looking to utilize AI to their benefit? Mayories, as public institutions, are working with lots of data. Because, for instance, in my district, they are living, as I said, up to 500,000 inhabitants. This also mean, means big data because we produce this kind of data. For instance, we have this application on for mobile application that is used now about, uh, it's called eSector 6. It is used now about, uh, by more than 3,000, 30,000 people being in direct contact with us and sending us feedback on time. So, for instance, there's a pothole. Okay, you have to address this issue, and you have these standards up to uh, since uh, since we received this uh, this input from the citizens for uh, let's say 48 hours. If there is some garbage somewhere, you have lesser standards like up to two hours. If uh, there is some furniture that was uh, I don't know vandalized or something, and we have to work with institutions. Our institutions are working together now. So now I have ten agencies. Uh, under my my mayory, mm-hmm. and they have to 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 act together. For instance, we have uh, this homeless person. Not only the police is going to address this, but also social services together with the police are trying to see what is the problem, and uh, they are taking care of this person and so on. So we get a lot of lot of data through these applications, for instance, and there's so much information that we do not get to analyze it and to create the best scenario for how these institutions should uh, together operate, delivering different public services or addressing different issues that are uh, raised by the citizens. Due this, uh, due, uh, because we are using this application, we are in direct contact 24 hours a day with our citizens. No, and I had to, for instance, I had to. Um, there's too much input from the from the citizens, or all the resources of the institutions are going to those inputs. I had to put uh, to to stop it. I say, okay, one third of the resources, in terms of uh, money and uh, and the human resources, are addressing the issues for citizens, but the other two hearts has to go as planning because, yeah, and you have a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to to take. For instance. Now we're implementing, we're going to have in Sector 6, 3,000 camera, uh, cameras for surveillance in order to increase the capacity of the local police to address. Some of them have uh, these predefined scenarios. You know, if somebody if, uh, somebody just uh, get, uh, is getting closer and closer to some person and then run away, that may indicate a robbery. And you have these pre-identified pre, pre, uh, scenarios that we are using with these uh, with these uh, cameras uh, in order to increase the capacity and the operability of the local police. This is just one one of the examples. We have all those uh, cameras around schools. We are investing more and more in, in new technologies that always produce data that always have to be analyzed because if not, you are not taking the most mm-hmm. out of it in order to have better uh, and more qualitative uh, um, public services for our citizens. So um, you've inspired my final question because we're just about out of time. And this is really for all of you. Um, To my chagrin, the United States has not implemented privacy policy yet. And as a consequence of that, individual states have created their own privacy policies. 
for my members, that's a problem, right? Because every state they're working in now, they have to deal with a different set of rules and regulations. There's there's a significant tension between uh, cybersecurity and privacy. Uh, can you uh, discuss, and again, Arizona hasn't done anything on privacy because we tend to be very light on regulations, which is really good for our business community. But can you talk a little bit about this tension between privacy and cybersecurity? Yes, this tension exists, and some of the journalists asked me about this. Of course, accountability is very important, and it's very important. Uh, regulation is really, really important here. For instance, uh, I had to pass a bill that uh, the acknowledging that uh, no facial recognition software will be going to be used in those 3,000 cameras that we are now implementing across the, the district. And I'm in touch with uh, other um, uh, state agencies like Civil ser- uh, Secret Service and uh, um, National Police in order to regulate how do they have access to this data. Because they don't have access to this data in real time, as we do, but they have to uh, ask permission first, to, first. And there is specific situations in which they have access to the de- to the data. So first of all, we have to have it have this mm-hmm. uh, be very well regulated, and we do not have expertise. And we are doing it is going to be a process as learning as doing. And after that, we have to train the people and to have to audit the systems who has access to what kind of information. Because, of, of course, people are concerned that they will be that information will be misused. For instance, you can see a plate of uh, of a car, and you, somebody know where you are heading at. And of course, you have to protect these liberties. And without regulation, you cannot protect liberties. Christian? Well, we got to understand that data is merchandise, right? So data is merchandise, it's an asset, and uh, a lot of people want to use it. Have you ever asked yourself why a lot of companies are requesting for your data and then they give you some discounts? Why is that happening, right? Do they just need to have the data on their servers and just pay people to do maintains of servers and buy the servers is a waste of money? No, it's because data is so important. And the way you use it is even more important. So regulation is important because if you don't use it right, it's it's very dangerous. So it's like medicine. For some medicine, you need a prescription and you need regulation. Representative Cook, you want to take us home? I'd love to. So I, I think we're all in agreement. You can have both. You can have uh, security Right. You can have security and and you can have regulation that protects your security and and your individual rights and your data. And I think that's where we should be charged as elected officials is to come up with that. But we can't do it alone, Steve. So when we think about these AI technologies and you, you brought two things in, you said the federal government's not doing it. So some states are. That's not good for our country either, because. As these companies, they, they have to stop. And I go back to the trains that, that take our, our merchandise across this country. If the rules are different in each state, do they got to stop at the border of the state and then put another conductor on and, and, and do things different? They need to be able to travel to the states. Well, it's the same thing with the technology industries and, and business of technology. You need to be able to freely operate across all states legally but what we need to do is instead of piecemealing it together by states, that's how it's going to start. And it's probably going to have to force the federal government in to put their to put their umbrella over all states to operate under, kind of like the motor vehicle department and, and, and things like that. So I would ask that if the private sector would bring us something that is workable, then, then let's move it together and let's work it out together so we have the best policy and regulations that also protect our individual liberties and freedoms. By the way, we have a section in our 2024 public policy guide on data privacy, and I can guarantee you we are constantly encouraging our congressional delegation to move on this issue. Um, so it's really Congress uh, who has responsibility to do something in this area. Well, I want to 
thank you all for uh, being here today. I think it's been an incredible uh, discussion. And with that, I'll ask Karen to take us home. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate all of you being here today. If you are interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for Council's AZ TechCast, then do contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about the opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. And again, we cannot have this programming without, of course, the Arizona Technology Council and the Arizona Commerce Authority as well. So we always appreciate our sponsors. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for joining AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.